Good morning, brothers and sisters. And welcome to 2024 at Great Commission Church. It's going to be the best year of disciple-making and family-building in the name of the Lord Jesus that we've ever had. I'm believing God for that. How about you? <laughs> Are you fired up? Do I need, to, I need to do a little dance or something to get your attention? You won't forget it if I do. Yeah, that's right. I'm Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor. And I want to let you know about our new monthly schedule uh, we are beginning here in 2024. Uh, The first Sunday of the month will be Global uh, Offering Sunday, which is getting getting ready to happen uh, in just a second. Sundays 2 and 3 are our normal order of service, our normal liturgy, what you're used to. And then the fourth Sunday of the month will be Prophetic Ministry Sunday. And that'll be kind of a big curveball, be new for all of us, and the power of God will be with us. And so can't wait for all four of these. Uh, Global Offering Sunday, which is today, is the only one of the four where we won't observe the Lord's Supper. And we're going to put a ceremony in its place. We've been doing it for a couple of months, and we're going to uh, continue that in earnest today. And this is a time where we as a church consecrate all that we're going to give to the Lord for the month of January, including our treasure, including our time, the talents that we have. Everything is a time where we're going to come forward in a ceremony and be prayed for and say, God, January belongs to you. I'm seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness above all things. I need, I need my church's help and support. I need the prayers of the saints. And so uh, this is a very holy moment we're getting ready uh, to do. Also, it's an opportunity for our members to encourage each other as we financially support our church together. Not only that, and this is one of the reasons that we had this idea, it provides a tangible offering experience or a giving experience to everyone who gives digitally. Because it is 2024, and people don't carry cash and checks as much anymore. Folks give and do commerce online and invisibly, and so people even give to the Lord in an invisible digital way. But we think the church needs to do it in a way that can be seen, and so that's why we're doing this ceremony together. And here's another very important reason we're going to be doing Global Offering Sunday every month. You ready for this? It reinforces to our children that they belong to a family who demonstrates faith by generosity. Hey, look, we don't need to keep it a secret from our children that we give to the Lord first. Amen? They need to see it. They don't need to just suspect it. And so we're going to do that. Uh, This is also Global Offering Sunday because this is the moment in our month where we're asking the Lord to maximize what we give to make disciples of Jesus and to start churches all over the world. Even though we have a one-fund ministry, uh, we still give to missions and we still support missionaries, not any less than when we had a missions fund. Now it's even more. And so every month we're praying, God, take this nickel that I'm giving to you and make it go to every inhabitable uh, continent on earth where people can hear about Jesus. Is that a worthy thing to do? So I'm explaining this new ceremony, and now here are the nuts and bolts. If you're going to give today with cash or check, just put it in this envelope. There are four stations around the room. They are unassigned stations. There's one here, one there, one in this corner, one in that corner. You get to pick whichever one's your favorite. How about that? 
Now, I'm going to pick the one with the shortest line, and I'm going to go get in the back of it. And my wife and I are going to go, look, we're going to bring today an envelope. But I don't know. Um, here's, what I'm t- here's what I'm going to say to you. If you give digitally, you bring an empty envelope. And you say, look, this represents my gift to the Lord this month that I want God to consecrate. I want to be blessed. And you just put it in the receptacle. And you're not lying. You're saying, God, I just give digitally, and here's, here's the tangible part. And so you got that. Receive a prayer of blessing at these stations from a godly leader. When I finish my remarks here, I'm going to pray, and four elders are going to come and to each one of these. And when you come, they're, going to, they're just going to say maybe a 10-second prayer for you and your family. And uh, it's a sweet time of worship in the Lord. Then place your offerings in the, or, or even your empty envelope in the receptacle as an act of worship. And then listen, return to your seat and do, me, do us this favor. We want this to be a very reverent moment. And so pray and meditate quietly at your seat until the ceremony ends. When, when we do the Lord's Supper, we kind of chat among one another. It's a happy time. This is also a happy but quiet time in the Lord. And so that's how we're going to do that. Would you bow in prayer with me today? It's Global Offering Sunday. I love this time of worship. As I pray, elders, if you'll take your stations. Father, we come before you presenting ourselves to you on your day. This is the gathering of the local church. Lord, we know and we confess that this isn't the kind of gathering you can get anywhere else in the world, not anywhere else in the community. Uh, This is what you've ordained. This is what you have invented and thought up. And Lord, we know that there's grace on this meeting because of it. And so Lord, this time in our meeting, we give to you with reverence from our hearts. Lord, with, with fear and trembling, we bring our offerings to you, the first fruits of what you have provided for us. We are trusting you, God. We are saying to you, Lord, that, that, that money in your hands will, will provide for our family better than if we kept all of it. And Lord, we're also saying take all of this, what little or what much it is, and make disciples of the nations. Lord, our, our church planters in Kenya today, God, I pray you'll bless them with this offering. Lord, our, our church planters and our pastors in South Mexico, do the same, oh God, and in Uganda, and in Mozambique, and, and, and all of these nations where these, where these resources go, God, build your church for your glory. And do it from here, in Jesus' name. And a faithful church said, amen. amen. You can rise to your, your feet and pick a station.
y'all would just stand and we can continue worshiping the Lord.
pray that you would give us hearts of worship for you, Jesus. Jesus.
we just lift up this time of worship to you, Lord. And as we continue to just be in your presence, God, I pray that you will just touch each heart here, Lord. Allow us to be open to what you have for us to hear today, God. I just pray that you are with Trevor as he comes to share your word in your holy, glorious, precious name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Pleased to announce that our campaign for the next month, 29 Days of Promise, officially is open right now. And if you would like to participate with us, which is very simple, uh, 29 Days of Promise is our opening sermon series for the year. It's also our church-wide campaign of 29 daily devotionals we've written in-house. These books are free. I believe they're out in the lobby somewhere. We want you to have one. There's a daily devotion that we're all doing together for the next 29 days. And I think it's something like one verse a day uh, in those. And we're basically answering some easy questions. And it's a good way to have spiritual discipline in your life to begin the new year. And so, hey, you don't have to be a member of our church. Anybody can do 29 Days of Promise with us. Get a book on your way out if you don't already have one. Is that exciting? I think so. It's going to be good. Find everybody's favorite book in the Bible, Ezekiel. It's in the Old Testament, kind of midway in your Bible today. And I got to use my little bookmark to find it. There it is. And here's what I'm going to do for the next five Sundays. I'm going to take one promise of God. There are hundreds of them in the Bible. I'm just going to take one every week. And I'm going to share with the church the good promise that God has made us and that we'll be looking at for that day and unpack it in a very simple way for us to apply it. And one of my goals is that you'll leave here encouraged about the love and the goodness of God toward you. And you'll say, man, he really does love me and he keeps his promises. Now, just a couple of verses I want to share with you about the goodness of God and, and how he doesn't tell lies. And when he, when he makes a promise, he keeps them. Uh, you don't have, I think it'll be on the screen, but I'm going to read them from the pages of my Bible because that just feels like church to me. Amen? <laughs> Joshua 21-45. Uh, the Lord says this about, uh, this, this is what's said about our Lord. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. Likewise, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or... Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? My brothers and my sisters, God keeps his promises. And so, why the promises of God? Well, the great Christian lady, Corey Ten Boom, said, Let's, said, let God's promises shine on your problems. How good is that? So in the next 29 days, we're saying, God, when the clouds come and when the darkness descends, we want your promises 
to shine on all the problems in our lives. And my guess is this congregation gathered here today has a truckload of problems collectively. But we have a God who's overcome all of that. Uh, Another quote from a Christian of yesteryear, the church father Augustine. Some call him Augustine. The rest of us call him Augustine. God has promised forgiveness to your repentance, but he has not promised tomorrow to your procrastination. One of the promises that God's made to you is that if you'll obey his gospel, uh, he'll make a new you, and you'll go from being an object of his wrath to one of his children, a dearly beloved child of his. He's promised forgiveness to your repentance. But what he hasn't promised that is that if you keep putting off obeying his gospel, if you keep saying, I'll decide to become a Christian at a later time, that you'll even have that later time to do it. And so some of these promises that God has made, we have to act on them now. In our text today, back in Ezekiel 36, the children of Israel had become so corrupt and so worldly that God scattered them among the nations as a judgment against them. And when he scattered them out of the promised land and all these pagan nations, it's almost like it didn't work. They got worse. They got less obedient to him, and they they forgot him even more. And while they were dispersed in foreign lands, they brought shame to the Lord. They, They continued to profane his name elsewhere. And the foreigners even said, and I quote, these are the people of Yahweh, and yet they have gone out of his land. Here's what that means. Some God he is, he couldn't even keep his own people safe. And so the Lord's reputation was being tarnished. His ability to provide for and protect his people was being called into question by pagan unbelievers. The idea was, was Israel's God inadequate at the task of being God? That's the background. That's the spiritual condition of God's people when he made the following promise, Ezekiel, 26, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Here's what God said to those disobeying, rebellious people. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. That's our promise for the opening of the 29 Days of Promise series. I call this, I will give you a new heart. That's what he's promised. Now, when I look at these verses, I have some questions. And so how I'm going to preach this today is I'm going to ask some questions and answer them, and then give you some application at the end, and we'll be done. Is that a deal? Yes or no? Everybody fired up and hungry for God's word? I am. Okay. So my first question, I'm not going to spend much time on it, is when I read this, what's the difference between the heart and the spirit? Because he says you need a new heart and you need a new spirit. I don't think we need to split hairs much here and make a hard distinction between the heart and the spirit, and here's why. Those two things, whatever they are, are connected to each other like two handcuffs all over the Old Testament. You hardly ever see God speaking of the heart where he also doesn't speak of the spirit. So the heart 
at least according to some theologians, includes the mind, the will, and the emotions. How you think, uh, what your desires are, and how you feel. It is the center of your personality. The spirit is your inner man. It's the impulse that drives you. Uh, Your spirit regulates your desires. Your spirit regulates your thoughts. Your spirit regulates what you do. When you die, your spirit stays alive and either goes to heaven or hell. When we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the muscle in your body that's beating right now. This is figurative. You get that? It's who you are on the inside. So the heart and the spirit go together. Just remember that. The, The bigger distinction. The thing that you need to know which is one and which is the other is this next question. What's the difference between the heart of stone and the heart of flesh? That's where we have understanding about the text. And I want to just share that with you a little bit. So your heart, uh, the heart that is stubborn, the heart that is rebellious, the heart that is insensitive, that's the heart of stone. And God says, I'm going to replace the stubborn, rebellious, insensitive heart that you have with one that is soft, one that is impressionable, one that's responsive to me. That's the heart of flesh. Here's what I found interesting. You're in the book of Ezekiel, yes? You're in in chapter 36. That means there were 35 chapters in Ezekiel before you ever got to 36. Did God have anything to say in the 35 chapters of Ezekiel before 36? He did. He even talked about the heart and the spirit. In Ezekiel 18, which is one of the most important chapters in all the Old Testament, where it's where we get the soul who sins will die. In Ezekiel 18, you know what God says to the children of Israel? I'm going to quote it to you. He says, get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Go find yourself these two things that you need. So in Ezekiel 18, God says, go get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Is he contradicting himself? Well, good night, no. God never does that, correct? Here's where we learn this great theological understanding that your responsibility as a human to make decisions on one hand and God's sovereign grace on the other hand, they run on slightly parallel tracks. They don't run on parallel tracks where they never intersect, but they go together and eventually down the line, the decisions you make and the sovereignty of God are going to cross and intersect. And the New Testament teaches this And here's the idea. Man cannot make for himself a new heart unless God gives him one. Let's say that again. Mankind cannot make for himself or herself a new heart unless God gives him one. Do you want to see how this is taught in the New Testament? It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Because in verse 12, God's going to tell you, you have to do it. And in verse 13, he's going to say, but while you're doing it, it's really me in the background giving you all the power and the ability to do right things. So here it is, Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, Paul writes, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If, if that's where Paul's Philippian letter ended, it would look like you're responsible to save yourself. But it doesn't end there. Even, I don't even know that Paul takes a breath as he writes verse 12. Because remember, when he wrote it, he didn't write it in chapters and verses, yes? It's just a thought in a letter. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, how in the world can I do that? Oh, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You're responsible and God's responsible. God's always more responsible than you, but the choices you make are real. You do have a will. It's not a completely free will, but you're like that bird in a cage, and you're free enough to fly around inside of the cage that God has put around all of us. And so go get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Oh, and if, when you see that you can't really do that, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. God's just gonna show you that you have to trust him no matter what. By the way, Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. And that's the difference. Jesus did all the working for you already. So, what's the difference between the heart of stone and the heart of flesh? We're learning. Let me give you a couple of examples of a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. The first heart of stone in the Bible was Pharaoh's in the Exodus. You remember this? Seven times in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus, the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened somehow. A few of those times, the Bible says uh, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the other times, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But either way, the result was Pharaoh had a heart of stone. And that heart of stone caused this. Moses, go to Pharaoh, God says, and tell him, let my people go. Pharaoh will harden his heart and he will say, not going to do it. Not letting them go. So, we read in Exodus 4.21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart, and what will the result be? He won't listen to me. He won't let the people go. So, a heart of stone says no to God. What does a heart of flesh say to God? In the, uh, in the book of Kings, you meet this godly king. He's King Josiah. And the Lord blessed King Josiah because, unlike the Israelite kings before him, his heart was soft before the Lord. So we read in 2 Chronicles 34, 27, God's speaking to King Josiah, and he says, Josiah, because your heart was tender, because you had a heart of flesh, because it was soft before me, because your heart was tender. And any time somebody has a soft heart before the Lord, this is always a result. You humbled yourself before God when you heard his words. When you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, you humbled yourself before me, you tore your clothes and you wept before me. Because of that, I've also heard you. So you got a heart of stone, Pharaoh. A heart of flesh, Josiah. And one more heart of stone, just to show you that in the Bible, if you harden your heart before God, it can affect your physical health. 
You remember Nabal? Nabal means what? Stupid fool in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, Nabal, he had a heart of stone. And 1 Samuel 25, 37, after he had disrespected David and been just a godless man. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, when he sobered up. And his wife had told him these things. His wife said, you're not going to believe how you treated the future king. That his heart died within him and he became like a stone. And the very next verse says, 10 days later, God struck him dead. So I don't want you to think that the Bible offers any hope for those who say, I don't care about God. I don't give a rip about him. I don't care what he has to say to me. My heart is a heart of stone before him. It's never going to change and I'll be okay. No, you won't. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. You cannot avoid the Lord God of heaven. You may be able to ignore him for the rest of your natural days, but the rest of your natural days is a blip compared to the next world, the next life, and eternity. The day to transact the promise of God in your life is right now. There's not a better day, and you're not promised another day. Am I, am, is that true? So we, we want to avoid Pharaoh. We want to avoid Nabal. We want to be Josiah. Another question you might have is, Pastor, why in the world do I need a new heart? I'm a pretty good person. I'm a great American citizen. I'm, I'm a good neighbor. I know a lot of people that are worse than I am. Why do I need a new heart? That's the right question. I'll let, I'll let the Bible answer it without much commentary from me. Why would I need a new heart? My brothers and my sisters, the answer to that is because I am not full of goodness. Instead, I am overcome with wickedness on the inside. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin. Friends, the testimony of the Bible is that I should be suspicious of what is in my own heart. I must not trust it. And, and I should not follow my heart, no matter what the greeting card says. My heart is a poor leader. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. That means that your heart will deceive you more than the devil will. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know the secrets that you have, and you're not even able to plumb the depths of the depravity in your own heart. Who can know your heart? Jeremiah 17, 10, the next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart. And I test the mind. And so listen to me. You know this is true. As defective as my own heart is, I have learned and I am skillful. I can do an adequate job of hiding the real me from everyone but God. How do you know that, Pastor? Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He knows the real you. So why do I need a new heart? Because of that. Here's the next question. Why do I need a new spirit? 
Why do I need that new inner drive that affects my desires and where I go and what I do? Why do I need a new spirit? I know now why I need a new heart. It's worthless, the one I have. Why do I need a new spirit? I can't think of a better commentary to answer that question than John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. If you don't know John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, I think they're the most important verses in all of John 2. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Why do I need a new spirit? Because Jesus knows the spirit that's already in me. So much so that John's commentary under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, Jesus knew the spirit of mankind so much to them, so much so that he would not commit himself to them. Did you know that under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, under, under the law of Moses, believers prayed to God that he would renovate them? Have you, my wife and I, we built our house that we live in uh, February, be 16, 16 years ago. It still feels like a new house to me. I love that house. It, it's where we raised our children. It's where we built our Camelot and lived with our, near our parents and our brothers and our family and and. And we, we just, it was, it was the home of the, the Trevor and Angie Davis household. Uh, but man, you know what I couldn't keep from happening? I couldn't keep it from wearing down. Let me, let me rephrase that. Angie could not keep it from wearing down. <laughs> I lack those skills and the motivation at times. And we were thinking about, you know, if we sold our house, we had to buy a whole bunch of new things to put in the house to be able to sell it. It, it needs to be renovated to get the best value out of it. And so the idea in the Old Testament was, been living for a few months, been living for a few weeks, been living for a few years, and I'm showing the, I'm showing the marks of usage. I'm, I'm showing signs of wearing down and, and not being what, what I used to be. I, I, I need to be renovated by God. And this is exactly how David prayed. Do you remember when David sinned grievously with Bathsheba? Stole a man's wife, and the man that he stole wasn't some stranger. It was one of his mighty warriors. He, stole, he, he looked at her when she was bathing. He was a warrior. Uh, he used his, his authority as king to lure her to his home. And then he said, don't you want to be with the king? And, and she did not say no. And they conceived a child in adultery. All in secret. And then, this is before the days of ultrasound and all of that, then, when she finds out that she's expecting a child, David says, I've got a, just a few weeks. There's a, there's a clock now that's ticking down before people know my secret. And not only did he commit adultery, but he sacrificed the life. He committed conspiratorial murder of one of his most loyal subjects, her husband, to get him out of the way, to hide his sin and his, faith, his faithlessness from the people, and he thought he covered it up. But God always knows, and God sent a, a courageous prophet. And, pro, and the prophet said to David, you're the man that did all this. And do you remember David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51? I want you to think about it in terms of this renovation idea. 
God, I need, to be, I need you to come do some remodeling in me. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean what? And renew a steadfast spirit. So you see, you got heart and spirit all over the Old Testament. Create in me a clean heart. Make it, my heart's dirty, make it clean again. Clean me up. Renew a steadfast spirit because that, that inner me, that inner spirit has been, has been leading me in the wrong places and causing me to rebel against you. Renovate me, God. That was David's prayer. There was also this lingering fear in the Old Testament that what they had by grace could be taken away from them through their disobedience. God gave it to me in grace, I can send it away. And so after David prayed, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me, he said, and God, please, please don't leave me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know why David prayed, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me? Because in 1 Samuel 16, David watched God take his spirit away from his predecessor, King Saul, because of Saul's failure to obey God. He said, God, don't do to me what you did to Saul, even though what I did is just as evil as what Saul did. Please don't leave me. That was the prayer that people prayed under the old covenant. What I didn't tell you about Ezekiel 36 is it's Ezekiel's version of God's new covenant. A better covenant was coming. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. God has a better agreement for us than he had with David and Saul. Because under Moses, you could send all this away and God would say, I'm removing my spirit from you. Oh, but not this new covenant, not the one that Jesus purchased with his, with his blood. It is better. And not only is it better, it's established on better promises. And this is why we start 2024 out reminding ourselves or even learning for the first time some of the promises that God has made to believers. You see, if you're a Christian, you ought to be able to come to church most of the time and leave being reassured of what Jesus has done for you. What about those other times? Well, there's sometimes you need to leave and feel kind of bad. You need, to, you need to feel the teaching and the burning eyes of the Spirit of God if you've been walking in the world that will bring you back into walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only is this a better covenant established on better promises, but you know what God says in Psalm 111, verse 5? He says, he will ever be mindful of his covenant. God thinks about the agreement he has between himself and believers all the time. He's ever mindful of it. All right, well, let me apply this message and we'll be done. I'm going to apply the message two ways. I'm going to tell you God's why and our what. God's why, his motivation for giving us a new heart and a new spirit, and our what, the result that, we, that happens in our lives when we get a new heart and a new spirit. So God's why. Why does he promise me a new heart and a new spirit? Well, first, he promises me a new heart and a new spirit for his own glory. Ezekiel 36, 22, same chapter. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, 
I don't do this for your sake, <laughs> uh, but for my holy name's sake, which you profaned among the nations wherever you went. Can I ask you a question? Is it okay for God to be for God? Does everything have to be about us and our needs and our whatever? God's for God first. And he says, the reason that I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit is that it will give me more glory if I do it. For his own glory. And the second reason that he gives, that he promises me a new heart and a new spirit is for the nations to know him. God's heart beats for the unbelieving nations to hear about Jesus and believe in Jesus. God cares about lost sinners way more than we do. It's not some New Testament thing he invented. You go back to the Old Testament, the very next verse in Ezekiel 36, verse 23, he says, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord. There it is. Why am I going to give all of my people a new heart and a new spirit so that the nations will know me? Because the only thing that matters at the end of your earthly life is did you know the Lord and did he know you? And that's for everybody who's ever lived. He wants his name to be great so that the nations may regard him not as some ineffective tribal God, that was what the gods were all around them, but really as who he is, the Lord of the whole earth. So that's God's why, for his glory and for the nations. That's why he's going to give you a new heart and a new spirit when you become a Christian. Now our what? What do we get out of it? What's the result of having a new heart and a new spirit? Well, our first two verses were Ezekiel 36, 26, uh, uh, and 20, what was it? 26 and 27. Well, here's 27 and 28. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them and then you'll dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people. I'll be your God. Let me tell you while we're talking about the promises of God, one of the most poisonous lies of Satan. Do you know what one of the most poisonous lies of the devil is? Everybody look at me. It's this. Things will never change. I don't know what your marriage is like. I don't know what your job's like. I don't know how raising your kids is going. You may, you may be in a long season of losses. And then the enemy, in the same way he whispered into Eve's ear in Genesis 3, whispers into your ear, it's always going to be this bad. Things will never change. Does God have a promise to offset that lie? Oh, he does. It's this promise. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. And what will be the result? Did you see it in the verses we just read? You see, things will never change. That's a lie that kills expectations. It traps our hearts forever in the present. It robs the future of hope. But you need to know that God, when he gives you a new heart and a new spirit, the first thing he promises that is that you will walk in holiness. So you see, things will change. You will get better. You will grow to maturity. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. 
You will keep my judgments and do them. When he gives you this new heart and and this new spirit, you will level up. You'll go from the little Mario to the big Mario, right? And you may say, I I fail all the time. I don't feel like a, a very obedient Christian. Well, it's because you haven't claimed this promise. God wants to give you this new heart. And when he does, you'll love your local church. You'll be desperate to meet with them and to have them wear off on you. And that's how walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments happen. It's in the fellowship of the saints. Some of you have been disobeying God because you've been doing it by yourself and ignoring all of us. So you'll walk in holiness. Here's the, here's the second thing he says. You'll, you'll receive the promises. The, the promise in the Old Testament was, I'm going to give you a, uh, you're gonna, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, I'm going to give you a land to live in. So he says in Ezekiel, you'll dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. What I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be yours. You'll receive all my promises. Now look, I'm only preaching one this Sunday and four the next four Sundays. At the end of, the ser- at the end of this sermon series, there'll still be hundreds of promises of God for you to find in the scriptures. And then lastly, maybe the best part, you will know the Lord. What's the result of me having a new heart and a new spirit? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I can't think of maybe a better way of learning how to have assurance of my own salvation than to walk in his promises, know what the new covenant is, and wake up every day going, God promised he's going to give me a new heart and a new spirit, and I'll walk in his ways, and I'll keep his statutes, and by his grace today, I'm going to believe that promise. You think about that as we pray. Father, I think we're off to a good start. So by grace uh, and by, by faith, we pray today, God, this will be the best 29 days that we could have to start the new year. God, I pray for all the next steps that need to be taken today. I pray for the men and women and boys and girls and students that need to come for prayer. God, prick their heart, prompt them, Bring them before you so they can be prayed for. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a few things as we finish up. Um, one is, the, like Trevor said, we have some 29 days of, of promise books in the lobby. If you wanted to get the most out of this sermon series, we've created a daily devotion for you. I encourage you, to, if you haven't got one, go ahead and grab one on your way out. They'll be right out through those doors. Um, and you'll also notice day one does start today. We have the small group discussion in there also. If you're not part of a small group, if you're newer here, we have a small group that's going to go through this with you. It's called the Connect Group. It meets right after the service. So the week one discussion is going to happen right after the service. So if you wanted to kind of go a little deeper in this, encourage you to do that. Here's how you can find out more information about that. There's a kiosk right on the outside of that door. Take a hard right. It's the Are You New Here station. If it's your first time, go ahead and grab a gift. they got a gift for you. There's going to be folks and just say, where's the Connect group? And they're going to point you in the direction. It's a group of folks who love meeting new people. It's a, it's a really nice place to ask questions and get to know some folks. So I encourage you to do that. As everyone's filling, finishing filling these cards out, just take a moment. Get this out. Look through it. Is there any next steps that you'd like to take? Is there a prayer request that we can pray for you? I encourage you to fill that out. As you're filling that out, the prayer ministry team will come forward. Um, They'll line up in the front of the stage. This is a great opportunity for uh, you. Before you leave today, we got plenty of time to come forward, line up in a line to get ready to pray, and and they will receive you for prayer. We are not going anywhere. Do we have the prayer team? Y'all come forward. 
Come on now. There we go. They're shy sometimes. They've been eager all week to pray for you guys, and then they got a little shy. It's fine. I think that I kept talking, and I threw them off a little, threw them off their game. I apologize. But hey, would everyone stand with me? We're going to pray one last time. You can put these cards in the wood boxes on your way out. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful in Jesus' name that we, we gather together with the saints, that, that you really do answer prayers. You just ask us to ask, and God, today we're going to ask. Father, we're going to come forward. We're going to ask you for, for good gifts because you like to give your kids good gifts. We're going to ask you uh, just to intercede in places in our life. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, come forward. Receive prayer. Make some prayer lines. Don't leave without getting prayer, uh, and you're dismissed.